Scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. This is the uh, last sermon in our series that we've called The Other Side. Um, And the goal in this series, among other things, has been to peel back the five senses layer of uh, reality that we interact with on a day-to-day basis and to have a peek to see what happens or what lies on the other side. And I've repeatedly said during this series that... um, Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is not just something that lies on the other side of the door of death, but it also lies just on the other side of the fabric of physical reality. Heaven is right here, right now, um, or as Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, Now, I don't know whether you've ever been to a place or had a moment where it just feels like heaven is touching earth. Hands up if you've ever had that feeling. It just feels like heaven is touching earth. It feels like heaven is right here, right now. It's so close. Um, uh, where it feels that, that it feels like the, 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 that the fabric between heaven and earth is that much more thin than usual. Well, the ancient Celts had an, a term for this uh, phenomenon for this experience and they called it a thin place a thin place there's this old celtic saying um, that says heaven and earth are only three feet apart but in thin places that distance is even shorter and uh, we define heaven of course as being anywhere that god rules or reigns if that's the case then thin places make sense In May of this year, I believed that I experienced a thin place. I was invited uh, by a pastor friend to meet her at a Catholic campground, maybe 20 minutes from here, just on the other side of Manatek. And I didn't know that that place existed. I went there, and while I was there for the whole time, I cannot explain it except to say that I was on the verge of tears the whole time. It felt like God was right there. It felt sacred. It felt holy. I felt the presence of God. And in these past few weeks, we've been exploring this idea of the closeness of heaven. So week one, we looked, we um, 
had a glimpse behind the curtain to that incredible throne room passage in Revelation chapter 7. We looked at who is before the throne, who's on the throne, who's around the throne, and who is in the center of the throne, which is the Lamb. Week two, we looked at this idea of encouraging each other with truth. The specific truth we were looking at was from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17, and that specific truth is that our ultimate destination after we die isn't somewhere else, but instead we will meet Jesus in the air, we will be transformed, we will be changed, and we will come back with him to inhabit the new earth. Uh, we, so we challenged the idea of heaven over there, or heaven far away, heaven in the clouds, heaven in space, and we replaced it with um, what seems to be the biblical concept of heaven on earth, that this earth will be redeemed and renewed as our forever home. Week three, we focused on uh, how, uh, oh, oh yeah, and it's worth saying that after that sermon, I had some interesting conversations with people, and uh, so uh, I'm all for interesting conversations. So if you want to have a follow-up chat, more than happy to do that. Uh, week three, which was last week, we focused on uh, how Christ's return is closer than we think, and how vital it is that we are awake or alert when he returns. And that brings us to this week, which is week four, I'm calling it um yeah powered up but grounded so living a life that is powered up in our heavenly resources yet grounded or lived out on earth this is actually the final week in the church year i know that many of you don't realize that but this is the final week in the church year next week advent starts and so our new year or year b of the revised common lectionary begins so next week we'll start the We'll, we'll begin our third year following the Revised Common Lectionary, which is kind of crazy thinking that that time has gone by so quick. What started out as an experiment is now kind of something that uh, we are doing, and I plan to keep doing it until the Lord tells me to stop. And again, if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear that. But our reading this morning is Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. This is one of those passages, as you heard when Stacy was reading, that is so dense and so rich. It's got all these wonderful run-on sentences and these multi-phrased ideas. It can feel like listening to one of those people who has so much to say that they even talk on the intake. I said intake. They even talk on the intake of the breath so that you can never actually get a word in edgeways, okay? I'm sure that many of us know those people. You just want to get a word in, they, no, I'm still going. I'm still going. You just have to wait and listen. That's what Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23 is. And so to help myself as I was working my way through this passage, if someone can actually grab me one of those flow charts from the back, that would be wonderful. Um, but I did create a flow chart. There we go. Thank you very much. Which is here. Raise it up if you've got one of these, okay? So this was my sermon study aid that I thought I would uh, um, make available to you as well. Um, and uh, it will also be available on social media, and I'll link to it on YouTube as well, hopefully in the podcast when they go live later this afternoon. But um, this is kind of a breakdown of Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. So Ephesians 1, 15, uh, Paul has, up until this point, he spent 14 verses starting this letter to the Ephesians by listing the many spiritual blessings of life in Christ. He's done that for 14 verses. It's a long intro, much longer than usual. And then in verse 15, he says this, for this reason, 
what he just wrote. Ever since I just, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So it's their faith, it's their love that rises up within Paul this spring of thanksgiving. And that's what, where our flowchart starts. And then Paul goes on to explain what he's praying for them. And for that, we need to skip down to the end of verse 17. He says this, this is the reason why he's praying, so that they may know God better, so that you may know him better. Paul sees their love, he sees their faith, he's inspired to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, but this prayer he prays is that they would know the Lord better. And so here's my encouragement and my challenge to you. If you see signs of life in your friends, if you see an increasing maturity in faith, if you see an increase in love, our response to pr- should be to pray that these people who are already exhibiting life, who already have faith in Jesus, already have love for the saints, would grow and come to know God better. And this is just the beginning, because the question now is, of course, how do they come to know the Lord better? And the answer is amazing. And we find it by reversing a little in our cars to the start of verse 17, which says this, I keep asking that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is how we come to know God better, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, we cannot conjure up a relationship with God ourselves. And also, we cannot create our own God and say, well, this is the one that I'm worshipping. We need the Holy Spirit, and specifically the wisdom that only he can bring. This is the same spiritual wisdom that Stephen experienced in Acts chapter 6, verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And of course, that ended with his death. This is also the wisdom that Paul talks about in Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. This is also the wisdom that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. This is the spirit of wisdom, but he's also the spirit of revelation. These, and when we think of revelation, we're thinking of thoughts that you could not think unless God revealed them to you. There are truths that you would never know unless God in his grace reveals them to you. And here we have uh, an an example here. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now, we don't really do this. This isn't the Wesleyan way, but, or at least it's not the cornerstone Wesleyan way, but maybe we should be doing more of this, is to be allowing time for the Spirit to speak through us uh, to each other, that word of revelation. 1 Corinthians 14. Revelation is a necessary part of church life. 
So we go back to our flow chart, praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that others can come to know God better. That this really, if you think about it, if you're ever stuck for things to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a great model here. You should never be um, out of words. One more thing before I move on. If you make a commitment to praying verse 17 over others, um, then you should know this, that the Holy Trinity has made a commitment to seeing your prayers get answered. This is a prayer that will be answered. Listen to these words. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The Trinity has their role. Each member of the Trinity has their role, their task, their commitment in helping us to come to know God better. And so the image I have here is of a baby learning to walk. And of course, it's the baby who's doing the walking. You know, the baby is focused. The baby is excited, maybe a little bit nervous. You know, it's the baby who's putting in all the work. You know, the baby is straining every muscle in their little body and working out how, you know, balance and equilibrium works so that they can do something that they've never done before. This is the baby's work. It's their responsibility. However, if you were to take a look through the eyes of the baby and see what they are looking at, what do you see? You see dad there with his legs spread and his arms outstretched. You see the mum over the dad's shoulder saying, you can do it, you can do it. Okay, baby, come on, walk to mummy, walk to daddy. The Trinity are doing everything that they can do to help you get to know God better. They are ready to catch you. They're ready to pick you up. They are ready to rejoice when you take one stumbling step towards God. They see your faith. They see the love of verse 15. They are there anticipating your every move and they're ready to adjust accordingly. They are there ready with words of encouragement and the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So the next question in our flowchart is this, how does the spirit of wisdom and revelation along with the Father and the Son bring you to know the Lord better? And the answer is verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, a couple of chapters later, Paul writes this in chapter 3, verse 8. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. This phrase here in chapter 3, which is called make plain, is exactly the same phrase that's translated in uh, in chapter 1 as enlighten. So there's a work that the Holy Spirit does to illuminate what used to be muddled or confusing. If something, if, if, if you can look back and say, at some point, I did not understand that, but now I do understand that, that's because the Holy Spirit is enlightening something to you. Um, if ever you've had a light bulb moment, if ever something has clicked spiritually, that's the Holy Spirit helping you see what he wants you to see. He enlightens the eyes of your heart. He gives you a love for his word. He gives you a passion to know more and to grow in him. 
And what is the purpose behind the spirit of wisdom and revelation enlightening our hearts? Well, he's already said it. So that you may know him better. Verse 17. And then again in verse 18. In order that you may know. Knowledge is the purpose of the spirit enlightening. And, but just to be clear, this isn't just head knowledge. This is to know experientially. The, the act of sex in the Bible is often referred to by this euphemism, you know, Joseph knew Mary, right? And of course, um, in this verse, we're not talking about sex, but my point is that the knowledge or the knowing God better is not just information in your cranium, just as Joseph knowing Mary did not mean he learned a fun fact about her, right? That's not what it meant when it said that Joseph knew Mary. Knowing is about affection increasing in the heart. It's about falling in love with God more. It is an experience. Now, if this is a little bit too vague, well, what does that knowing? You just talked about sex and this is weird. Now we're talking about God and the Trinity. What does that even mean? Well, Paul explains even more what it means to know God better in verse 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So the thing that the spirit of wisdom and revelation wants to reveal to us is, number one, the hope to which he has called you, and number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, I can't get into this too much this morning, but I hope that just hearing these words creates um, a frisson of excitement or a thrill of hope right you know in a couple of weeks time we'll be singing about a a thrill of hope a weary world rejoices that's what i'm hoping is created as you start to hear these words the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance he wants you to know experientially the hope to which he has called you and he wants you to know experientially the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and number three there's a third one as if that's not enough num- uh, verse 19 and his incomparably great power for us who believe so we've got hope we've got inheritance and we have power so that's encouraging to have hope and inheritance and power but now of course i'm wondering well what power what is this power like what sort of power is this and well god in his grace uh, anticipates our question and he answers it straight away verse 19 and 20 that power is the same as when god raised christ from the dead so the, so the same power that sparked neural pulses in a dead man's brain, the same power that filled a dead man's lungs, that re- reanimated viscous blood to carry hemoglobin again, that same power that brings life to the dead is the same power that we have access to. Resurrection power, life out of nothing. And any time that someone comes to faith in Christ. They are born again. They live again. That's the, the, the words that we use. They are experiencing a qualitatively new life. Mary Shelley's Dr. Frankenstein, he knew that it took lightning to galvanize his creation to life. And God knows that it takes the resurrection power of Jesus himself to bring us to life. Resurrection power and 
ascension power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And this is a separate move, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So God didn't just raise Jesus up from the grave. He also lifted him up to heaven, to that spiritual realm, as I explained earlier, that overlies ours. And so now, for the first time in the history of humanity, we now have a physical person in that spiritual location that we call heaven. And when heaven comes to earth, Jesus is going to be the first of a new humanity, a perfect prototype who marries the physicality of our current human experience with this brand new spiritual reality of the new heavens and the new earth. So we have access to resurrection power, we have uh, access to ascension power, and this ascension power is not something that we will one day have access to. If you love Jesus today, then today is your, this is your reality. In a sense, you've already ascended. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 makes this clear. And God raised us up with Christ, okay, this is past tense, God raised us up with Christ and seated with him, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, so again, this isn't a future incident because he then talks about in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable great riches of his grace. One more time, God raised us up with Christ, past tense, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, the future, he might show the incomparable uh, riches of his grace. So we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms now, not later, but now. And again, that thin fabric between our physical earth and the spiritual heaven actually has a point of, of contact, of connection in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds, in our lives. Because of our union with Christ, we're seated in the heavenly realms now. We have a seat at the table now. And I want to be clear that this is not just a cute way of expressing or a figure of speech. What this is, is God peeling back the layers of all that we experience through our five senses and is showing us what is really going on, that eternity has begun now, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in conjunction with the Father and the Son who um, is the one who reveals this. This is the power that we have, resurrection power, ascension power, and finally, supreme power. Far above, verse number 20, far above, all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. There's a lot about power. Why all this focus on power? Why did Paul just spend three verses drilling down on this idea of power? Not hope, okay? He mentions hope in passing or our inheritance. Again, he just mentions that in passing. But why spend so long now unpacking the idea of power? Why in verse 21 does Paul go to such great lengths to express and explain the power that Christ has and by which we through extension, have if we're in him. Why does he say this? Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 
Might it be that he does this? He focuses on power because so often we experience powerlessness. We experience helplessness. We are disenchanted. We are disenfranchised. We see all that is going on in our world and we think and we feel that there's nothing that we can do. We feel that no one cares, that no one sees. We're just one cog in an endless succession of generations. We live and we die. We live and we die. That's it. Why do you think there's such an epidemic of suicide or made medical assistance in death? Here in Canada, there is a deep-seated lack of hope that stems from a sense of powerlessness or agency or control. However, if we reckon on the truth that people are praying for us, that our love and faith is growing and maturing, that we can know God better, that our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is actually committed to us getting to know him better. If, if, if we reckoned on the truth that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is enlightening the eyes of our heart so that we can experience him by understanding the hope that is ours, the inheritance that is ours, and the power that is ours, and not just any generic power but resurrection power ascension power supreme power if we reckoned on the truth that we are raised in christ that we're ascended with christ we're sat with him spiritually on his throne even now in heaven do you think that things might change we need power because this power has granted us for the glory of Jesus. This power is granted us for the glory of Jesus. It says here, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. This power that we have access to is for his glory. Everything is under Christ's feet. This power that is ours for the taking is for his glory. But here's the takeaway. This power is also for our good. Verse 23, verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Why? This is the part that I want you to hear. For the church. God placed all things under the feet of Christ, appointed him to be head over everything with a reason, with a purpose for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What is this saying? It's saying that Jesus is on the throne, placed there by Father God. He's reigning in supreme power after having risen in power and ascended in power, and he's there for the benefit of the church, for you, for Cornerstone Wesleyan Church, for us as we are sat here this morning. Jesus is head over everything for the church. And what, the, what this must mean is that the church is central to God's plan. It's not an afterthought. But we are right in the center of God's focus and attention. It means that Jesus is reigning for us. That we are the body of Christ. He is the head of our body 
And it means that God is arranging these grand strokes of history around his church. This means that you matter. This means that I matter, that we matter, that the Christians living in the slums of Cambodia matter or scraping by in downtown Edmonton, that they matter as well. Because we are the church and Jesus is the head of the church and the church is the body of Jesus. So we return once again to this concept of the kingdom of heaven and we realize that if the kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus reigns, then surely that includes our hearts, our lives as the church. This means then that heaven is not something that is there and then. It's not a faraway place that we will end up if we die or when we die if we've prayed the sinner's prayer. Heaven is actually as close as the next beat of your heart. Heaven is as close as the next draw of your breath. Heaven is not there and then. It is here and now. Eternity is now in session. And as the body of Christ, the Christ who's seated in the heavenly places, it's not an exaggeration to say that, the ver- that in all likelihood, the only contact that your friends are going to have with heaven is with the kingdom of heaven that lies within you. This means that your life matters, that what you do matters, that what you say matters, that how you spend your time matters, how you use the money that God has given you matters, what you read matters, what you watch matters, how you communicate matters. Everything matters because you are the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are powered through knowing spiritual reality but we're grounded in the work that still needs to be done friends heaven is not only the on the other side of the door of death as we've been taught the kingdom of heaven is in fact on the other side of a decision a decision to live a life of faith and love as verse 15 tells us which brings us back full circle to the start of our flow chart of this message and so as we come to the end of this sermon and this series let me leave you with an insight that Stacy shared with me as we talked this week about the sermon when you come to the end of the flow chart what is the next step where do you go from there What is the intended outcome of this flowchart, these verses? What is the ideal outcome of of these truths? Well, the intended outcome is faith and love. We're right back to verse 15. You see, knowing what you know results in your faith increasing. Maybe even now, that as you've been hearing what I've been saying, that your faith has been increasing and your love has been increasing. That is the purpose of this scripture. And then as your love and your faith increases, this leads to the spirit of wisdom and revelation enlightening the eyes of your heart as to the hope, the inheritance, and the power that is yours, and so on and so it goes. A continual positive feedback loop, that's what that orange arrow signifies. Faith and love, know God better, spirit of wisdom and revelation, enlightened eyes, hope, inheritance, resurrection power, ascension power, supreme power, for his glory, for our good, faith and love. And so on and so on until you pass through the door of death and go to be with Jesus and are resurrected finally in the new heavens and the new earth. And then you will see, you will truly see, not with the eyes of faith, but with your resurrected actual physical eyes, 
what is on the other side. Let's pray. This is a lot, Lord, and it's your fault because you put it in Scripture. But it's there for a reason. It's not there as some vague little nod to something that might encourage us when we're feeling down, Lord, but every phrase is specific. It communicates a specific truth. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, every word in the Bible is there for a reason. It's not accidental. And so I pray, Lord God, as we meditate on this flowchart, and more importantly, on the word that it represents, that, Lord, you would encourage us in how to pray for each other, that, that we may live those uh, lives of faith and love, and we may pray for those who are living lives of faith and love, that they may grow, that they may have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Lord, may we never run out of things to pray, because here, Lord, we have a great, a great structure, scaffolding, for us to pray faith-filled scriptural prayers on. Lord, I pray that uh, we would look for those thin places in our world, Lord, where it just feels like the, um, that heaven is closer to earth. But Lord God, that uh, we would not survive on purely those, but that we would seek to create thin places through reading your word and praying and uh, resisting um, yeah, the temptation of this world to uh, lead us into uh, negativity and glass half emptiness, that instead we would see this inheritance, these riches which are ours, and this power which is ours even now, resurrection power, ascension power, supreme power, that we are seated with you in the heavenly realms. And may this change how we live. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.